Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 3, Episode 11, for Saturday the 20th of March 2021. Coming up this week, I've got book categories coming out of my ears after this week's big review of my Amazon listings. I've been inspired by a couple of Joanna Penn's recent episodes, so I've been listing some books on the blockchain and I've created a couple of test NFTs. And it's time to change your file formats on Amazon. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. Just as some consolation for those of you who are listening to this, sick of hearing me talk about beaches and sunshine, I'm recording this a day early today because it's raining in Torrevieja today. It just started pouring with rain in the morning. We had intended to head out for a walk. So apparently I learned from my wife today that March is Torrevieja's rainiest month. And they actually, while we were in, uh, where was it, Benidorm, they actually had floods here, quite severe floods here while we were away. So we were lucky to have missed that. But they do have rain here, honestly. Anyhow, you're here to hear about writing, not weather. So let's get on with the writing news. And last week I told you that I was using this rather nice site, bklink.com, to review the categories that all my books are listed in. And then to find new categories to list them in, to make sure I've used my maximum of 10 allowable categories on Amazon using Klytics. So that was just a big administrative job, but actually using BK Link, it was a lot easier than I expected it to be. And I, I like that site so much. I made a PayPal donation for it last week because I was so grateful that it made the job really easy for me. It's a brilliant resource. Do try it if you haven't looked at it. So what I have now done is I've created a spreadsheet on which I have listed my lead books. And by lead books, I mean the books these are the most important books because they're first in series or they're box sets. So effectively, they're the, the, the gateway books that make me the most money. So, for instance, it's The Secret Bunker 1, it's The Grid 1, it's The Walker Bay Trilogy 1, it's Don't Tell Meg 1. If you buy those books, then if you enjoy them, obviously, you then go on to either buy a box set or you go on to buy books two and three in the series. Or in the case of Walk and Bay, there are six books in that series. So strategically, those are my most important books. In terms of priorities, then, it's I need to get those books. I need to make sure those books are the most visible and easy to find on Amazon first. Those are my priority. So I stripped out what I call my, my lead product books, and they're on one sheet of this spreadsheet. And then I put the remainder of the sci-fi books, the remainder of my thrillers, and I also created a section for my non-fiction books. What it told me is that really the only uh, time and attention I've given to this is on my lead books. And even on my lead books, to be honest with you, I haven't always used the full 10 categories. So there's lots of work to be done there. But I, I feel just like I did with my adverts, I've now got this spreadsheet where I can monitor my Facebook expenditure uh, day by day, my income day by day. And I could also factor into my monthly profits the amount that I spend on Twitter ads or Amazon ads or whatever it is else I'm spending. I, I, I On a daily basis now, I can see my outgoings and my income. And I know it's not entirely precise, but I can tell at any given time whether I'm running at profit or not on my adverts. This is a job that I feel like I should have got my head around a long time ago, particularly as I've got so many books now. And I'd half got my head around it. So I, I knew that it was important. I've known it's important for a long time. And I have had my thrillers particularly because the thrillers are the ones that, that have been paying most dividends for me in terms of income. I have sorted this out with my lead products with thrillers. But actually, I need to do this across the board. That's what this highlighted the importance for me. So I've gone through every single book. For every single book, I've made a list of the categories in the US, in the UK, and Canada. Now, I'm going to ignore Canada at the moment because I don't really sell a lot of Amazon books in Canada. There is certainly a market for me, but my main two markets are the UK and the US. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, if you listened in the early years, you'll know that for years I said to you that my biggest uh, audience, my biggest place of sales was the US, and then it was the UK. That's actually flipped now. So I sell mo most books in the UK at the moment. And my second biggest uh, outlet is then the US. 
and you've got Canada and various other territories after that. So, so Canada's not a priority at the moment, even though I have listed the categories. So my next stage then is I also this week have gone through all the Calytics reports I've got. So the minute they come out, I always buy non-fiction Calytics reports, thriller Calytics reports, and the thrillers often break down into different reports. So interestingly, having gone through them this week, they pretty well give you the same information. So in the past, I've got reports on woman sleuths, um, mysteries and psychological thrillers, something like that. And there was another category. I'd got three different Calytics reports. But to be honest with you, they're pretty well dealing with the same stuff in terms of the categories I get from them. But the information about covers and the specific uh, subgenre is obviously unique to each report. But in terms of categories, they were pretty well giving me the same information in each report, which was interesting in itself. And then I also went through the sci-fi report. So where I got a 2020 or 2021 report, I always use the latest report that I got available. I went through, I made a list of the categories. Uh, so you're always looking for categories that are winnable, i.e. they're not so um, you know intense, so popular that you don't stand a chance. But you also want a category where you've got a chance of making a reasonable number of sales. You don't want a Billy No Mates category, even though you'd probably rank very quickly in that category. There's not a lot of point because you're not going to make any sales. Um, so in, in many respects, that's a vanity metric. You know, I'm 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 number one in the category, you know, dogs that wear hats. Well, that's very all very well. You might be, but you won't be selling any any books. And from a business point of view, as I say, it's a vanity metric. It's not a money-making metric. So from a money point of view, you're always looking for a category. And this is what Calytics is very good at doing. It calls them hot sells. It tells you where you need to be listing, which categories you need to be listing in. So what I've done is I've gone through the Calytics reports with a fine tooth comb. I've taken out a list of keywords, of, of much used keywords. And, and some of the time you can't use the keywords. So, um, you know, there's a difference between what people search for on Amazon and what you can actually use as keywords. So, for instance, um, one of the, the key phrases that people use is something like free Kindle books. Well, you can't use Kindle, to my knowledge, you can't use Kindle in the seven keywords that you get when you list a book on Amazon. You can't use the brand name titles. So you couldn't you couldn't use that actually in your keywords. You'd have to put free books rather than free Kindle books. Uh, that, that's to my knowledge. Uh, that's my understanding of the rules. I might be wrong, but that's my reading of the rules. So uh, I've taken a load of, of keywords that apply to my books, the books that I write and that I can use, but I've also taken a list of categories that apply across my books. And again, another little trick that I've done is because I've now got uh, compilations, anthologies of books, I have found that it's actually quite easy or easier to rank sometimes in, 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 in um, categories that have our anthologies or collections. Uh, it's worth looking at some of those. And again, Calytics shows this in, in the data that it provides for you. So now I've got a spreadsheet that's packed full of, of information. And what I will do is as I buy new Calytics reports, as new reports come out of my genres, I can add or take from that and update it. But this is like, it feels like one of those jobs that I should have done ages ago. And what I'm gonna to do today after I've finished editing this podcast and uploaded it for the week, I'm going to start to send a series of emails to Amazon to then say, can you put this book in these 10 categories, this book in these categories? Um, but I'm not going to overwhelm Amazon. I'm not going to send you know, a, a great long email with however many books I've got that I need to do about 30 books, whatever it is I've written now, and then you know, give them a list of 10 categories for each book in the UK and the USA, what would, it would, that would just be a phenomenal administrative job. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to split it and I'm going to separate those emails by a couple of days. So basically when I've got the email back from Amazon saying, yeah, we've done that lot, I'll send them another lot. I don't want to overwhelm them because if I was the poor person getting that, my eyes would just glaze over. So I'm, I'm going to split it up very much the way that I've split up the spreadsheet. The priority is going to be getting my lead products listed correctly in the right categories. So that's going to be the one I do today and send off. Then I'll pick up um, probably thriller um, series and then thriller standalones. Then I'll do sci-fi and I'll do non-fiction. Interesting, the, the non-fiction, there's so much difference. I, I, I'm pleased I write in different genres because... There's so much difference between how you sell a non-fiction book and how you sell a fiction book. So it's really hard for me going through that process to find the right categories for, say, my book on podcasting or my book on digital pro uh, product making. But 
those two books, the podcast book and the Create Digital Product books, they're doing really well in my Amazon ads at the moment. They're really easy to sell in Amazon ads, in automated Amazon ads. Yet, at the same time, my author platform book and my five-figure fiction formula, I'm really struggling to get those to display on Amazon ads. And I'm considering now trying keywords with those books to try and get them to display. But since I've been using Amazon ads, and it's only a couple of weeks that I've been back to Amazon ads, my podcast book and my Create Digital Product books using just Amazon ads, those two books are now in my in my lead books. Now, they're not selling a zillion, but they're, they're, they're profitable. That's a good thing about them, that they're the digital books are five ninety nine in the states, four ninety nine in the UK, and the paperbacks are nine ninety nine. And people tend to buy the paperbacks, which is great. That's a great thing about nonfiction. So I am selling uh, paperbacks of those books, and the Amazon ads are what are what's doing it for me. But there's a lot of profitability. But when it comes to going to categories, I found it really hard to find ten categories that suit those books specifically. I can find four or five that are very specific, but much harder to find 10 categories. Yet when I come to my fiction, it's really easy to find the 10 categories that I get. So anyhow, that, that's really been the bulk of this week's work. It's the kind of work that, because it's clerical, it's not very creative. It's the sort of work that I, I tend to do in, in hour-long blocks. I sit down and do a bit and then go off and do something more interesting instead. Uh, but I, I did get it done more quickly than I thought. And I highly recommend that this is a job that you do do it. About, about five or six years into my writing career, and I'm only doing it myself. But hopefully the benefit of this podcast is I can share stuff that, that I learned and I realized that I should have done earlier. And this is, you know, this is one thing that really has made a difference for me in terms of uh, most people's ambition. Number one, it was my ambition is number one. Can I get to the number one slot in a bestseller chart on Amazon for free books? And you'll know, again, if you've listened for some time, that I got frustrated with that. Once you learn that trick and how to do it, you then want to get to number one in paid categories. And I have been in number one in paid categories in the last year. And the reason I've done that is because I've deployed this, this category approach. And you could do that using Kalytics reports for your genre and using this BK link site, which is free. You could leave a donation if you want. As I say, I, I did so much work at it so quickly and so effectively the other day that I felt that sense of, of gratitude for somebody providing such a great product. And I, I just wanted to, to send a donation to say thank you for letting me use it because it's a really good product. I, I do recommend you look at it. And when I was doing that work, I just thought to myself, you know, I often feel like I could take, I could take a year off writing any new books and I could just concentrate for a year on optimizing my entire business. And I'd make more income probably just by virtue of thoroughly working through my business and getting everything set up exactly as it should be. You know, the problem with this is that you're on a conveyor belt all the time. You're running to catch a moving bus all the time. You never really get a chance to just stop and take stock. You're always busy, you're always doing something. There's always a project on. And, and and this is how I've been, and and I've caught up with a lot with a lot of it. You know, you know, while I've been in Spain, I've just completely revamped my website. You know, I've I've moved out of social media. I'm doing much less social media, very little social media now. I've looked at Facebook ads. I'm coming to Amazon ads. I look at BookBub ads again at some point. Um, you know, I need to have Facebook pixels and audiences. Uh, I'm looking at Amazon keywords and Amazon category, all this category research I'm doing. There is so much involved with this self-publishing business, if you're going to do it you know, properly and thoroughly, you, I honestly, I reckon I could take certainly half a year off, if not a year, to just go absolutely everything in the, in the business and just optimize everything. And please actually, I've had this time in Spain to do a lot of that. I have optimized a lot of it. This is what the category works like. This is what why I've taken uh, these consultation sessions with Kirsten Oliphant about Facebook ads and, and Amazon ads. It's all about improving, optimizing, doing things better, doing things more efficiently because I've now got a substantial back catalog. Um, you know, I could take a year off writing now and I could literally just promote the books, keep submitting to book bubs, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, BookBub ads, and I could make money from assets which I've already created. And I, I do often think if I just took a year off and only focused on promoting the books, how much money you would make in that year if it was all about optimization. So, 
you know, it's it's a busy business, and and I refer back to when I used to do the the self publishing talks locally in Carlisle, and you'd see some people's eyes glaze over, and and, and they would realise you weren't telling them the story they wanted to hear. I think their image of of self publishing was that they would write this book, and by the end of the week they'd they'd be a millionaire. And I was pretty well saying, well, it's not like that. You've got to know about marketing. You've got to do all these things: production, covers, edits. You've got to put money in to get those things done. You know, you can't just publish a book with a rubbishy old cover on. And a lot of people don't want to hear that story, unfortunately. But that is the reality. This is my fifth or sixth year doing this. But what I can tell you is, um, you know, if you're only on book one or two or three, I say only, you know, that in itself, book one is the is a massive achievement. If you're looking at building a career on this, what I can say to you is that the more books you have, the more product you have, the more permutations you've got and the more ways to make money there are. It's much easier to make money when you've got more product. Um, and again, because I write in different genres, it means I can take different approaches to all of this. But it has been very interesting, as I say, to see how different fiction and non-fiction are. There's many elements of non-fiction which make it much easier to sell, but there are some elements which mean, for instance, when I was looking for the categories, that you're more limited than you are with your fiction books. So yeah, it's been a, a sort of a week of, of, of clerical work this week, but I, it feels very satisfying to have all that information done now, and I'll start sending the emails out as soon as this podcast episode is edited. Another bit of BookBub news, I submitted the Grid 1 to BookBub this week. It got rejected, even though it was wide. So I'm in a bit of a quiet period with BookBub at the moment. My thrillers aren't eligible to be submitted for some time, though I am going to keep trying um well you see i can try while they're i I will keep trying while they're in um kindle unlimited i would like to get i really would like to get a book bub on my 12 pack of books that 12 pack of books now is not far short of 1500 reviews which i just find phenomenal and i hope if there's a benefit to this podcast having five years worth of episodes i'm just going to look up this book as i'm talking to you because i just want to see where we are up to with the reviews now but i hope if there is some benefit to this podcast it's that you could you could listen to episodes when i was talking about not being able to get 10 or even 20 reviews and you can see the sort of growth trajectory you know as i've created more books and i've learned more about marketing you can hear me lamenting the fact that i can't get reviews and yet and yet here i am you know five six years on this book now has 1456 reviews this 12 pack i mean there was a time well, there was a time in the last year I couldn't imagine that. 1,456 reviews. I used to look at reviews that other people had in the hundreds and think, how are you doing that? How are you getting those reviews? And why I'm particularly pleased about that that book is that it's it's 4.5 out of 5 reviews. You know, so you've always got the inevitable, you've always got the inevitable one star, the inevitable two star, you know, the somebody who spent 99 pence and expected the works of Tolstoy or something for their 99 pence. You always get those that the outliers. But predominantly, you know, the the average over one nearly one and a half thousand reviews is 4.5 out of 5 and you know, you can't knock that. Not not when a 99 pence book with 12 stories in it is going to attract you know all sorts of of, of people it, they're not going to be that discerning at that price and again when i look at my reviews what you can tell is that the the, the book one in a series usually has worse reviews than books two and three so if you look at my secret bunker which has been flogged to death as a as a free first in series book so many 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 books from Secret Bunker have been given away free. And I always think there's a penalty with free. And I can see this across my, but you get more confidence of this. As I look at my first in series books, um, Left for Dead, for instance, which is not that old a book, actually. Um, the publication date on Amazon says the 3rd of January, 2020. That book has got 621 reviews on it now, which I find um, phenomenal, really, because I haven't massively pushed that book. But you see, the the reviews on that, it's showing four stars on the reviews. But as you work through the books in the series, they start to go uh, much closer to five. And and this is true. You go to Circle of Lies, which is averaging um, 4.5 out of five reviews. And then you go go into the series and the reviews get higher. And what that indicates is that you're 
basically throwing a lot of traffic of mixed quality at book one in the series and so you get a lot of people who aren't very discerning they either pick it up free or they pick it up extremely cheap um they start reading it fine it's not for them and and review it low that's just a hazard i think of of of, of giving things away for free or cheap but if they enjoy the book and then they go on to books two and three because they've enjoyed book one by definition they're more predisposed to like book two three four in the series and so i see my reviews get better higher up the series that you go which is you know which is very uh, very interesting and of course they've had to pay full price to get books two three four in the series so at that point your readers are more discerning now that's just my personal view my personal perception of the experiences that i've had but you can see it in all book ones in the series uh, you 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 have lower reviews interestingly the Walker bay box set which again has um i'm not really sure how i'm selling all of these actually because the uh, this has not been promoted i've got uh, 96 reviews on that and any book that you go to which is a um what i call a kind of a lead product you've always got somebody putting a one-star review um, uh, you know there's always somebody in there isn't there you think do these people not look at the blooming descriptions do they have no ability to discern what is a book that they want to read or not there's always a blooming one-star in there moaning about something or other um uh, but it's just it's just you know par for the course and i have to say that as i've as I've broken out, when you only when you're in the zone where you've got twenty reviews, thirty reviews, and every one of those reviews feels like it's been hard won and it's slow, it, it's it's agonising when you get a one star review, because because that one star review is you know disproportionate to the number of reviews you've got. When 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 you've got up to well, what have I got now on on, on Left for Dead the the trilogy? I've got uh, sorry, the, the, I beg your pardon on Left for Dead. It's the standalone book, the first in series. I've got 621 reviews on that now. So you've got 46 five-star, 28% four-star, 19% three-star, 4% two-star, 3% one-star. If you go to my 12-pack of books, and again, when you just look at the stars, it looks like it's about four and a half, and the average is four and a half. But it's 68% five-star, 17% four-star, 10% three-star, 3% two-star, and 2% one-star. When you've got more resilience to those reviews, you know, it's a lot better. Uh, I I could take a run of one-stars and it wouldn't drastically affect the sort of overall standing of that 12 pack now but i have to say to you i'm i'm pretty pleased with that because 12 books is 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 a big body of my work it's not all the thrillers i've written but it's a lot of the thrillers i've written and i'm quite happy with an average of 4.5 out of five stars across a body a massive body of work like that and i'm even more pleased to have 1456 reviews and as i say i'm not really sure where these reviews come from you know there's 621 reviews on Left for Dead, uh, we've got 96 on the box set of Morecambe Bay Trilogy 1. Uh, I think Don't Tell Meg's doing quite well too now for um, re- uh, reviews. Yeah, Don't Tell Meg has 716 reviews on it now. And, and this is all kind of cascade trickle effects, because I'm not really sure where those reviews have, have, have come from. They just seem to have um, grown as the 12 pack has but but back to my point if you're new to this and you've got a book and you're you're trying really hard just to get that first review and then you know you get to five and ten reviews and then maybe you get a couple of one stars because you were giving it away in a free promo you know just keep pushing on at this stuff of course every one star review is is painful to you but actually as you get those reviews up if you just keep going if you keep promoting if you keep doing the things that we know need to be done before you know it you're up to 100 reviews you're up to several hundred reviews as i am here and it's happened while i wasn't looking to be honest i'm really not sure where those reviews came from i haven't been particularly monitoring it but as you get more reviews like that you become more resilient to those one and two star reviews and as i say um i've always said to you you know beware the articulate considered one star review you know the one that talks about grammar errors plot holes 
uh, you know, things that as an author you need to be aware of, but you will find that the majority, the majority of the one-star reviews are just, this was rubbish, I bought an ebook and it didn't arrive in the post, uh, you know, the dog chewed it, or, you know, just stuff that you can completely discard. And you just have to discard it as, you know, people are people and sometimes they write stuff like that. As I say, it's only the considered one-star that, that really, um, you know, maybe pulls out things that you can learn from. Those are the ones you need to take notice of. But you'll generally, hopefully, if you've written a good book and you've had it edited and you, you've had other people reading it and commenting on it, you know, hopefully you've gone through that quality control and you won't hit those reviews. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I spotted a link this week. I think it was in a wide for the win post and um, if you haven't if you if you're listing wide and you haven't found this Facebook group I do recommend that you that you check it out I, I don't like the name the name doesn't work for me wide for the win doesn't work for me that now we need a better name for that group and I can't I can't think of it um, but it doesn't work it doesn't work for me wide for the win as a, as a title but but the content and the conversation of the tips are excellent. Hence, I'm recommending that you go into that group. And I'm looking at it all the time now and finding it very interesting. And there was a link that was shared. I'm sure it was in Wine for the Win, uh, something that I've never seen before, which is a draft to digital page where you can request promotion consideration. So if you are listing your books in draft to digital, you are in an aggregation system. So I list uh, my books on draft to digital and, and mainly I've got books in Barnes and Noble and Apple uh, listed on uh, draft to digital, mainly because I can't be bothered to list them directly on Apple. It's too much of a pain for me as an Apple hater. And uh, Barnes and Noble, I've never listed directly there. Though, as I've said to you in the past, when I get book bubs, I actually make decent money from Barnes and Noble. It's not not to be sniffed at what you make from Barnes and Noble. So don't don't disregard Barnes and Noble. Uh, but I think I'm sure I'm sure I've been contacted by Draft Digital in the past, where they've contacted me and said, "Would you like to be considered for a promotion?" But I think what happens is that Draft Digital, because they're an aggregator, they've got some sway with Apple and with Barnes & Noble and the other channels. And where those channels are having promotions, because you're not listed directly, I think Draft Digital sometimes propose some of their books. And I've got a link which I'll put on the show notes this week, which will allow you to put your books in through Draft Digital forms for promotion consideration. That doesn't mean that you're going to get the promotion, but it means that you'll be considered for the promotion. I've never seen this before. I was under the impression that Draft Digital just reached out like they had to me in the past and asked you if you wanted to be considered, but I'm going to be more proactive about this because in terms of when I do uh, BookBub promos, when I get a proper BookBub promo, I make I always make more money from Amazon. Uh, Apple are next, Apple Books. Then it's Barnes & Noble. Then it's Kobo. Then it's Google. That's where I make my money. Uh, Barnes & Noble was a huge surprise to me that I, I made as much as I did on Barnes & Noble. And Apple are always number two. So because I've got my books listed on Apple and Barnes & Noble through Draft Digital, clearly that's of interest for me if I can get some promotions. And when I'm talking about promotions, I have just, just before I started recording this podcast, I have just got on to Kobo again looking for the promotions that Kobo have and I've put some of my books in for some promotions. Kobo have got a lot of Easter promotions available at the moment so I, if you do, do list wide then submit your books to Kobo's Easter promotions. They always make a little bit of money. It gets things going on Kobo. Not a huge amount of money. It's not as much as I'd like to be making on Kobo but now I am listed wide in my sci-fi books and my non-fiction books. And as much as I can say to you with any certainty, if you know if you, you listen to my nonsense for the last six years, you'll know that I'm always changing my mind, that I do reserve the right to change my mind and opinion on things all the time. But at the moment, I think that I am going to leave my sci-fi and my non-fiction in listed wide continually now. On a, uh, that's it, I want to keep them listed wide because all in, I think I make more money with them when they're listed wide, and that mainly comes from BookBub promotions. I also do like to get income from the other channels. It's really nice to see income coming through in Draft or Digital, coming through in Google, coming through in, in Kobo. It's nice to have money coming from multiple sources. It makes me feel more like a businessman when I have pockets of money coming from all sorts of places. And and I I 
in the way that my thrillers have worked really well in Kindle Unlimited, KDP Select, I have not been able to replicate that with my science fiction. So, and, and also my non-fiction. I gave it a little try. I, I gave it a little try in KDP Select because I thought I ought to. But as I always thought, my non-fiction is better off listed wide. So I'm as, as permanent as ever permanent is in this game. I'm, list, I'm leaving those permanently. Uh, listed wide now and uh, with my thrillers as i think i told you last week or the week before they're going to stay in kdp select i'll take them out f when i can for a short period to try and get a couple of book bubs on them and that will be before i start releasing the third and final series of the morecambe bay of my morecambe bay books and then when i've got nine morecambe bay books the morecambe bay books will stay on kindle unlimited it will become my lead product and I will thrash the nine pack of, of books so you can get a whole series and I'll probably price it at something ridiculous like 0 0.99 and 1.99 and, and replicate, try and replicate what I've done with my 12 pack. And then my standalones and my Don't Tell Megs will go listed wide. And, um, and then that's where they can sit for sort of perpetually uh, forevermore, making ongoing amounts of money. That's my my kind of one to two year strategy with my books at the moment. So um, I'll put that link for the Draft of Digital promotions on the show notes for this week. I'll also put the link for the Wide for the Win Facebook group. If you are considering going wide or you are listed wide, please make sure you're in that group. I would describe it as the equivalent of 20 books to 50k for people who aren't Amazon exclusive that that's what that group is fast becoming and I, I can see very soon that you're going to start to get a wide for the win conference uh, you know I think that'll be the next thing um, it's going to be the next 20 books to 50k I think wide for the win that's by that's my prediction you heard it here first um, you know it's such a good beneficial site and they're running it really well as well um, you'll have probably got uh, an email from Amazon. If you haven't got the email, you'd have seen people talking about it online. This uh, email, which I'll read to you, we listen to your feedback and we're making it simpler to publish eBooks on Kindle. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't remember anybody giving any feedback on this. I don't remember authors giving any feedback on this. Um, so that's quite an interesting choice of phrase. Anyhow, starting June the 28th, 2021, we will no longer support files in Mobi, PRC, I haven't even got a clue what that is, or AZK formats, I haven't got a clue what they are, I've always listed mine as Mobis, um, when publishing new reflowable ebooks or updating the content for previously published ebooks. Instead, we ask publishers to use EPUB, KPF, Kindle Create files, that's their internal system, I think, or, Doc, or DocX files, that's Microsoft files. So, um, that's fine. I have to admit, I haven't really got a clue what a reflowable ebook is. Um, but what I can tell you, um, I'm just here to tell you one thing, and you could probably guess what it is. Yep, yeah, it's use vellum. Use vellum. Um, I will share on the show notes a, a blog post that vellum published this week, which is titled Changes at KDP Vellum Has You Covered. And I think I mentioned this, I, I referred to this when I got an updated version of Vellum. Vellum, when you've paid for it, just updates automatically. Um, I can't remember how long Vellum have been doing it, but Vellum saw the writing on the wall. And for a period of several months now, when you create your Kindle version of your books in Vellum, it creates a Mobi file and an EPUB file. Now, I'm very pleased about that because, again, if you follow all my ramblings here week after week, you'll know that I had a problem with my 12 pack of books in that the file was too big and I couldn't price it at 99 pence or cents because of the file size. And that was a Mobi file. When I got access, when my Vellum software updated and I was able to create the Kindle EPUB file, the EPUB file is considerably smaller than a Mobi file. And it was small enough for them for me to uh, be able to creep it under the pricing amount of 99 pence or cents. So that solved a huge problem for me. And ever since then, uh, when I've been relisting my books, you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, I said I'd gone through all my books, changed the back matter. When I'm uploading files now, ever since I got access to that new Kindle version of EPUBs, that's what I've been uploading to Kindle. So when you revise your book in future, or you list a new book, you're going to have to use this new EPUB file. Now, what I would say to you is, 
it's a long time since I've uploaded a doc or docx file to Amazon. I know you can, and I know in the very early days of my self-publishing that that's how I published my books. Not for very long, I hasten to add. Um, so you can, I wouldn't recommend uploading doc or docx files. You, you could use a KPF files, but again, there's a reason everybody uses Vellum and not this Kindle Create thing. It's because Vellum's much better. So I know I keep going on about it. I'm going to keep going on about it. If you're serious about your author career and you plan to have more than three books, this is another opportunity to say, okay, I'm just going to buy Vellum. I know it's expensive. I know it's a couple of hundred dollars, but I'm telling you in terms of your workflow and in terms of the time that it will save you and the tearing your hair out and the nonsense and the trying cheap stuff that doesn't work or do the job properly, Vellum is the solution at the moment. That's that's my opinion, and I'm sticking my neck on the chocking block to tell you that. So I will share the blog post from Vellum, and we'll take a little break now. I will play my advertisement from Vellum. If you want to support this podcast and buy Vellum, you can purchase it at no extra to you, and if you purchase it through my link, I'll get a kickback. But the only reason I enthuse about Vellum is because I honestly believe it is the best thing to do if you are serious about your self-publishing career. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of Vellum, the best way to format your publications in Mobi, EPUB or paperback format. When you buy Vellum through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort producing this podcast. All of my books are produced in Vellum, and I even have a simple guide to using Vellum on a PC over at my blog. Just head for paulteague.net forward slash use Vellum and download your free PDF how-to guide. So, to check out the best formatting software on the planet, head over to paulteague.net forward slash vellum. I know most of us listen to Joanna Penn's podcast, and I've been listening with interest to her, uh, what does she call them, minisodes or extra episodes that she drops in about uh, the blockchain and artificial intelligence. And I'm less interested in artificial intelligence. You know, my, my, my view with artificial intelligence is, and I have tried, um, Descript, I think it is, I've tried uh, AI, I've tried to make my voice, I'm, I'm desperate for this, I am desperate to be able to sample my voice and put my non-fiction books in, uh, into an AI audiobook format. You know I don't want to record them, I can't be bothered, I know how much work is involved, I just don't want to do it. And... I am dying to be able to capture my voice and the rhythms of my voice in an AI format to run the text of my books using that AI voice replicant and then publish my non-fiction books. It's going to be ages till we could do fiction, I think, get the intonation right, but fiction should be fairly straightforward. I beg your pardon, non-fiction should be fairly straightforward. Fiction will be difficult. Um, and I would do that at the drop of a hat if I could do it. But I've tried this. I've tried replicating my voice on Descript, and it's just not there yet. And every time, I don't know whether you you text on your phone. I think most of us text on our phone. I mean, if you if you look at just texting, if you think about it, everybody in the world who's got a phone, and if you think that that you could sample all the words that people do. And you, you must have, while you're texting, you're right. You're writing a text to somebody, and you get this bizarre substitution on texting. And you think, why can't you? When there are millions, if not billions, of people texting every day, would you not be able to capture that in an AI database, which then says, you know, this word is used more often than that word. So if they put this combination of letters, this word's more likely than that word. Um, you know, when you get these bar- bizarre substitutions in your text messages, you would think we've had texts for years now. And text is still a useless tool. It still makes ridiculous auto-corrections. So we send uh, messages to each other that look semi-literate, you know, because we can't even get text right. My view is that AI is a long, long way off. If we can't even get texting right, we ain't going to get AI right for some time. But, 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 as I say, the first thing for that, I, I mean, I'm desperate for this. I want it to come. But I always look at texting and think, well, look, look how rubbish texting is. We've got a long way till we get AI right. And I know we're talking about, you know, deep fakes and things like that. This is all interesting stuff. But, you know, I think this is going to take a lot longer to become commonplace and acceptable. I don't think we're quite there yet. But I'm desperate for it, and I keep trying stuff as it comes up. You know, I, I'm trying it. I, I desperately want it. I'll be on it the minute I can. 
but everything I try at the moment is just not good enough, as far as I'm concerned, with AI. However, the blockchain is something completely different. And I was listening to Joanna, who's listed her, she's listed one of her books on Bookchain, Bookchain, which is a, it's a Canadian originated site, I think, where you can list your books on the blockchain and um, you, could, you could do that now. And what, what I'm particularly interested in this process is because you, you can't do it just yet, it's coming very shortly, but you can get a perpetual royalty from your ebooks. So at the moment, if I sell an ebook, so say I sold you an ebook directly through BookFunnel, you bought that ebook and then you tried to sell that to somebody. So you paid three pounds for an ebook, you thought, well, I'll sell that for a pound, like you would a secondhand paperback. You might be able to do that. I mean, the infrastructure is not quite there to do that. You, you might try and do that. And then I, as the author, would not get a royalty for that, for my work. But with the blockchain, and I'm really interested in this, you can get a perpetual royalty. So you might sell your book for £5 uh, in the marketplace, the equivalent of the, of the Amazon website. And then somebody reads the book and they think, oh, that's a good book, but uh, it's an e-book. I will sell that. And then you might then set up a contract on your book that says, forevermore, I get 5% when that book is sold. Now, that is like what we're getting close to there is what uh, musical artists have in terms of royalties. So, you know, if you're Slade or, you know, I don't know, Slade or a UK group from the 70s and they Slade, uh, you know, or certainly Noddy Holder who wrote Merry Christmas Everybody makes, I think it's about £200,000 a year from ongoing royalties. So if you're a, a musical band and you own the, the rights to your music, then every time your music is played on the radio, I know this because we used to have to log every piece of music that we played on the radio. Every piece of music is logged and the artists are paid through special licensing systems. So we don't have that. As authors when we sell one book that's it that's where we make our money we don't make a perpetual royalty even though it was us who created that work whereas artists musical artists do get that perpetual royalty as long as they haven't signed their rights away of course so i think this is really important in the long term if you're a self-published author now i'm, I'm a self-published author in my 50s but if you're a self-published author in your 20s 30s 40s if you're going to be doing this uh, you know, for, for 20, 30 years, and this is going to be your job, then this is something you need to pay attention to. Because um, I know when people hear the words blockchain, they think Bitcoin, and they stick their fingers in their ear, and they go, la, 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 la. But I think this blockchain, I had a look at it when I heard Joanna mention it. And I think this is really interesting, because I, I listed my books a year or two ago uh, on Publica, which is another service which is trying to put books on the blockchain. Now, if there was a problem with uh, Publica, it was that when you bought the books from Publica, you used to have to use their coin, what we call a coin, to, to buy the books. Now, you and I are not gonna own those coins, so we're not really gonna buy those books. And, and that was a, a, a problem with Publica, not that they hadn't solved the problems of putting books on the butcher. Now, just to qualify that, I haven't looked at Publica for a while. I, I delisted my books when I made them Amazon exclusive and I haven't been back to it. So they may have solved some of these problems in the meantime. But at the time I was listed, you had to buy with their token. And that immediately blows people out of the water because if you're you know, talking to somebody like, you know, like my mum who wants to buy a book, well, how do I buy a token to buy a book? It's just a complete different world to them. The interesting thing about bookchain.ca is that you buy the books with with currency, just normal currency, with dollars. So for a, a, just a book buyer who doesn't care about the blockchain, the experience for them is just as if they were buying on, on Amazon or anywhere else. I get my credit card out, I pay with dollars, and I get my EPUB delivered to me. So I've listed on bookchain.ca this week. I've listed all my science fiction books, which as I told you are wide, and I've listed all my non-fiction books. Now, when it's very easy to list a book. It's no, no different from listing it anywhere else. You just put the title, the number of pages, the, you know, the, the, uh, the ISBN number if you've got it, a book description, a cover, all that sort of stuff. That process is no different at all. The only difference is with this is that you, you then have to create what's called a contract. And the contract is extremely easy. The contract basically links, it links the contract to 
your book title, you then say how much of the proceeds you want. So, for instance, if I'd co-written a book, uh, we, we could take 50% each in, in the contract. In my case, I just take 100%. I take 100% of the book sale from every book that I sell. And then, although they haven't got this category yet, there's a little there's a little grayed out box which you can't use just yet. But what you are then going to be able to do when they develop this product a little bit is you're then going to be able to tick a box and say that whatever this book sells, I want to take a you know a five percent, a ten percent royalty. And that to me, that that there are two things particularly that I think Bookchain does that nobody else has done so far. Number one, normal readers could buy your books using normal currency with their credit card. That's really crucial to get the adoption of the blockchain. The blockchain sits in the background. And this is this is what I believe will happen with the blockchain at the moment. The problem with, with Bitcoin blockchain, all of this nonsense, is that it's just unfathomable to you to, to people. It's like the internet was right in its early days. You know, only the geeks of the nerds could work out how to use it. When Netscape came along and created a browser that uh, normal people could use, they could put words in and find stuff that they wanted. When Netscape came along, it changed things on the web. It suddenly made it something that normal people could use. And this book chain is an example of what normal people could use, how they could use the blockchain. So. I don't want to overwhelm you with science. And actually, if you list a book, even if you list a book and don't publish it, I think it's an interesting, um, you know, it's an interesting way of getting your head around it. Because in this case, the blockchain works in the background. The customer is not aware of the, the blockchain. And all the blockchain is, it's just a contract that is connected to your electronic file. That's all it is. It's a contract that sits in the background that is connected to the file, your electronic file. So if I sell a book to you, an electronic file, that contract gives me, as the author, uh, through the blockchain, 100% of those royalties. And then subsequently, if I sell it, if I've set the contract up that way, when you sell it on, I will always get my 5% because that's built, it's hard-baked into the files so that when you sell that book, it's hard-baked, so I'll always get that money. So it's well worth having a look at this, even if you don't publish the book, just to get your head around it. But it's a very good example. Um, I'm interested in it, as I say, because of perpetual royalties. I think that's a really key concept for, for authors, that we always get perpetual royalties for the work that we do. I'm absolutely sure that perpetual royalties are going to become a big thing in our industry as the blockchain develops. And the other thing about this is that, you know, normally if I said to you, I'll go off and buy uh, a bit of Bitcoin, most people wouldn't have a clue how to do that because it's way too, uh, it's often, there is an easy way to do it, but it's, it's way too complicated for most people. They wouldn't know where to start. They wouldn't understand what was going on. Uh, that's for a, a, a typical retail customer. And what this solves is the problem of that in that you just pay with your credit card and all the money bit goes on in the background on the blockchain. So I think this is a, a pivotal product. Now, a couple of things with it that I, that, that it's, I mean, it's all early technology, of course, it's all early technology. And I, I sent a message to the gentleman that I was dealing with. Incidentally, he gave me a code. It usually costs $39 to publish a book on BookChain. That's a one-time fee. But at the moment, if you've got more than one book, they'll send you a promotional code and you can publish them at $2 each. So at the moment, they've given me this code. I've published, at the moment, I've published the secret bunker just to see what it looks like when they're published and to work through teething problems. But I have actually listed but not published all of my non-fictions and my sci-fi books. And when I'm sort of happy that it's gone through, I will um, publish the lot basically for $2 a time. So it's a good time to get in if you think you might be interested in this. I've seen a couple of names on there. I mean, Joanna, Joanna's got a book listed on there. And uh, I saw Ron Vital, who's a former guest on this show, uh, who's also a, a nice early adopter with the technology, Ron. I know you like your tech. So it was good to see Ron's books on there. I've seen a couple of authors who've, who've got in there and listed their books um, on the blockchain. So um, say, even if you don't publish them, it's worth just having a look at it. Just to get your head around it because it is it's the simplest process I've seen. So what I will do is I will put links to my three secret bunker books. So you can see what it looks like. Uh, hopefully by the time you look at those links, they'll be published. They're not as I speak now, but I hope they'll be published. But it's a good time to get in and make sure you've got that promotional code if you're publishing more than one book because uh, obviously $39, $2, I can publish 
I'm going to publish 11 books. That's, uh, what is that, $22 if I publish all my 11 books listed wide. If I was paying $39 a time, that's a lot of money. So it's a good time for me to get in there. Now, do I expect to sell any books? No, I don't. Uh, I, if I do, it'll only be somebody experimenting and, and playing with the system, I think. Uh, one of the things I've asked the makers, I've been talking to a gentleman at Bookchain, and one of the things I asked him is, are you going to have an app to deliver this? Because it's all right buying an EPUB file, but how are we going to read it? So to me, this is one of the good things about Publica. Publica had a file, an app that you could put on your phone that allowed you to take delivery of your books and then read them on your phone. So what I'm expecting is for Bookchain at some point to have an app at a marketplace that allows you to buy the books, read the books, and then have a second-hand resale area where you could resell the books and the authors could then take their their perpetual royalties. So it's it's very early days with this technology, very, very early days with this technology. But like AI and with the blockchain, I'm I'm all over it. I'm really interested in it and I want to keep my head around it. I don't want it to, you know, I don't want to be 60 years old and people are telling me about the blockchain and I'm saying oh I don't need that blockchain you know like your, your, your grandparents do with the internet oh I don't need the internet I don't ever want to be that person who says oh I don't need that you know it just confuses me I just want to keep on top of this stuff and, and that's why I'm always in nice and early with it I also um I, you'll know if you've listened to the podcast for a long time that I once had a cryptocurrencies podcast about two or three years ago and I got you know I'm still very fascinated with it but I keep it offline these days and I've had my eye on NFTs non-fungible is it tokens I think it is NFTs I should know what that means NFTs um, it's certainly non-fungible I can't remember whether it's transfer or tokens well I can't remember what the T stands for uh, but um Joanna was talking about NFTs on her podcast. I listen to other podcasts that are going down the wormhole with NFTs. And again, NFTs, without overwhelming you with science, NFTs are a way that artists can take perpetual royalties when items are sold. So you'll have seen probably in the newspapers this week that many pieces of artwork are being sold for thousands and millions of dollars. And as those works increase in value and get sold, the artist could always, um, depending on what they've built into the blockchain contract, they will get uh, a percentage of that royalties. It's a perpetual royalties is the key concept here. The blockchain can deliver for the artist perpetual royalties. And if you're confused by that, that's just what musicians get. You know, that they get a royalty every time their music is played on the radio, at a disco. You know, whenever their music is played in a film, they get a perpetual royalty, so long as they kept the rights, of course. So I've had my eyes on NFTs for ages, and I've been asking one of my kids who is very artistic. I've been saying, you know, can you produce for me uh, a series of, of artwork, digital images, artwork images, because I can't do anything like that. And I'd like to list them in NFTs. I'd like to get in there early. We won't make much money, but I'd just like to experiment with this. And you know what kids are like. You know, I, I can't get a commitment to produce this artwork. I'm not capable of doing it myself. But listening to Joanna's episode last week, I thought I really want to have a go at these NFTs. I just want to get my head around how it works. So I have this week listed a couple of NFTs. Now, um, I don't want to over-confuse you with this. I know people's sort of eyes go blank and dead when people start talking about technology. But, um, but there are different ways that you can list at NFTs. And the main way is using a, a blockchain called Ethereum. Ethereum is going through some teething processes at the moment in that it could be very expensive. When, there's, when everybody's getting excited about the blockchain, it could get very expensive. So you might, for instance buy a piece of artwork, digital artwork, an NFT, and it might cost you $5, but by the time you've paid the, the network fees on, on Ethereum, that might be another $30 if, if the Ethereum blockchain is very busy and congested. And that's crazy. That You know, that's crazy. Now, I know that the creator of Ethereum, they're working through these problems and they desperately need to work through these problems um, at the moment. So what I've done is I've listed that there are alternatives to Ethereum. And so I've listed my NFTs on what's called the WAX blockchain. And what WAX does basically is it means you don't have all those network fees. So if I charge you $2 for one of my pieces of digital artwork, that's pretty well what you're going to pay. You're not going to pay another 10 or $15 for the network fee. So I've used the WAX chain. Now, 
I've listed my NFTs at a place called Atomic Hub, and I will give you a link on the show notes this week so you can have a look at those NFTs. Now, this is all new to me. I'm learning this. But all I did is I took two original images that my wife took in Benidorm uh, two weeks ago. I said, can you find me six lovely images or, or nice images? And all I've done is I've turned those images into non-fungible tokens. So I have listed them. I think uh, they're listed. I think the price is about five wax, which is just a couple of dollars. Um, and I've built in, as I listed them, I've built in a perpetual royalty. So the first time I sell that, I'll, I'll take my $5. And then if somebody goes on to sell those photos, I would take a 5% perpetual royalty. Now, no one's going to buy them at the moment because I um, they're not whitelisted. So I've, I've just listed them. I haven't whitelisted them. They're not part of a collection. I've literally just listed two photographs which are available as that you can buy th um, there are three editions they're limited edition three three editions of each photograph they've got a very small price on them they haven't been whitelisted yet i haven't done any graphics or anything like that so no one's going to buy them so for me it was just an exercise an exercise in in figuring out how it works and what it does and i'll put the link it's a long sort of complicated link but i will put a link up so you could just have a look at it and see how it works you know, um, and, and it's just digital artwork. And if somebody bought that for five wax tokens, uh, I've I've built into my contract a five percent perpetual royalties, and that's pretty well how books are going to work eventually. But again, you don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of this. You don't have to become a blockchain expert. What I would just say to you is, this is really important. I agree with Joanna on this. It's really important for us on authors. Uh, this concept of the perpetual royalty is really important to our future earnings. Now, you know, if you're 20, 30, 40, I mean, it's important to all of us, whatever age you are, because it's going to be about my legacy. I think eventually, pretty well, most of our work will be connected to the blockchain. And this will mean that our estate can take automatic perpetual earnings, perpetual royalties on our work. So my kids can be getting the advantage of this. And it's only, we're not there yet. You know, five to 10 years probably is the window for this to take off. If you think about the internet, it's going to be a similar trajectory to the internet. I listen to reports that the BBC do on the news programmes at the moment, and it takes me very distinctively back to a place in time when I was listening in the, was it the beginning of the 90s, to interviews about the internet, thinking, what are they talking about? Why is this important to me? I don't think everybody's going to be using it. And how, how, how wrong was I about that? Because it just didn't make any sense to me. And that's what the blockchain's like. Think about, if you were around when the internet came on and we weren't using the internet every day, think think about your reaction to that, how, how you responded to that, thinking, well, what is it? I don't understand what this is. I don't understand it. This is what the blockchain's like. This is where we are with the blockchain at the moment. And we, the blockchain at some point will have its Netscape moment where somebody puts it in a way that we suddenly could use it and understand it and that the normal retail customer could get their head around it. And at that point, it's going to fly and it's going to be it's going to control everything we do. I think long term, it's going to be very important for us as self-published authors because we are we own our own rights. I think it'll be baked into your audiobooks, it'll be baked into your digital books. You know, it's anything digital, it's going to be baked into, and it's where your income's going to come from. Not yet, maybe not even five years, but 10 years, I'm fairly convinced it's going to be all over the place at that time. And you won't even be aware of it. It'll just run in the background like the internet does. So that's why I'm encouraging you not to become an expert in it, but just not to let it get away from you just keep it in your sights you don't say so you don't have to be an expert you don't need to be able to explain it on a on a diagram but just be aware that I think there's a lot in that I agree with Jana on this you know I, I think we've got to watch this as self-published authors I'll put the link as I say on the show notes if you want to have a look at those NFTs all they are is digital photographs unique digital photographs are not available anywhere else that you can buy and own and resell This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of BookBrush, the simplest way to create 3D book covers, box sets, sales videos, and social media images for your books. 
When you buy BookBrush through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. I've used Photoshop, Pixlr, and Canva, and although they're great, you can't beat BookBrush as a core component of your author armory. To check out the best image and promo creation service for indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash bookbrush. Just to finish off with then, I'm a big fan of Linktree. I'll put a link on the show notes this week. Um, When you go on your social media profile, so your Twitter profile, your Facebook profile, you can usually only add one web link. So usually you add a web link to your website. But what Linktree allows you to do is to put a single link on usually your Twitter profile, to be honest with you, but also, I guess, your Instagram profile as well. And when you click on that link, it opens a a sort of tree of links that can then go to all your other channels. So I think it makes sense to use Linktree. It is free. There's a paid version, but it's free. I use the free version. And I've got it on my Twitter profile. So if you go to at Paul Teague UK and have a look at my Twitter profile, you'll see that I've got my Linktree link just there. And I say, I'm using the free one. Uh, this week, I got an email from Linktree saying they've now got a paid support button. So if you are in the zone for Patreon, you know I'm not a fan of Patreon. Uh, there's one called Kofi, Coffee, it's K-O-F-I. I haven't used Coffee. I went for uh, buy me a coffee, which is my favourite. I like buy me a coffee for two reasons, because it does exactly what Patreon does. So if you've got people who support you every month and you want to do that, you can have a Patreon style monthly arrangement. But why I really like buy me a coffee is because people can give you one off donations, one off small donations, and I I think that suits more people. You know, most people won't want to commit. Certainly to me as a, as a smaller, I'm not known at all, well known at all. Whereas if, if you're a general pen, um, Patreon works beautifully because you've already got this huge tribe of people who are following you. If you're a Paul Teague, then you're not going to get a lot of people in a Patreon account. It's, and it's going to be a disproportionate amount of work. So I think buy me a coffee works better at that stage where people could just put a pound in, two pound in, say thank you if they've heard something useful and they're not committed on an ongoing basis, but also you're not committed on an ongoing basis either to keep producing more work and content. So it works better for me. But at the point at which maybe you transition to that kind of Joanna Penn superstar status, you can have a monthly if you want to. That's why I prefer buy me a coffee. But the reason I'm telling you this is, if you don't want any of those, but you do want to have a a sort of support button, Linktree now have a support button that you can add to your your main link. So you could literally have the, if you enjoy my work, you can support me here. You could buy me a coffee here. You know, you could treat me here, whatever you want to say. You could have it for a pound, two pound, three pound. You have, I think it's five custom amounts that people can uh, sponsor you for or, or pay you at the moment you can only link to now I was going to say stripe it's not stripe it's square you can only link to square at the moment but coming up soon is paypal and stripe I've already got paypal and stripe I couldn't link those but <laughs> going back to what I was telling you previously square accepts and let you buy uh, bitcoin and cryptocurrencies so it's high time I had a Square account to keep an eye on what they're doing. So I created a Square account to allow me to take money, um, you know, through a Linktree support button. But if you are an author, maybe you don't want to go down the buy me a coffee, but you would like to have, you don't want to do Patreon or anything like that. Through your Linktree, you can now have a support button. It's very easy to set up. And you might just find that your your fans, people who enjoy your books, uh, might just want to send you a pound, two pound, you know, to thank you for writing the books. And it's just a very small, non-committal way of allowing people to support you and sending money directly to your account. It just takes a lot less than setting up any of these other profiles does. So I thought you might be interested in that. Perhaps if you're, uh, you know, just a, if you're just writing fiction books, for instance, um, for me, because I've got the podcast, I've got other outlets, it's worth me going down the buy me a coffee route. Uh, as a, if, you're, if you're writing in a single genre, I think this Linktree support button is all that you need. You don't need anything, you don't need anything more complicated than that. Okay, we'll finish off then with the last bits and pieces. That's the writing news done. I, I was saying to you that I'm, I'm all I'm what about I'm 11 runs out of 15 through the February 
Is it February? No, it's March. The March challenge. Don't really know what's happening in April. We might go back to the UK in April. It's really, we, we've rented the house to the end of April, but we're not quite sure when we're going back. We might go back in May, we might go back in April. Um, it's quite a changeable feast at the moment. So what I did do is I signed up for the April Accumulator Challenge with the, the Great Run Team. And they've got a challenge to run 16, 16 runs in April. And then you get this sort of Easter egg, uh, you know, medal and certificate if you achieve that. So I have signed up for the April run. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to do it. I do know that a number of people who listen to this podcast are now um, running. And I, I talk about running. I try and leave it to the end and not go on too much about it. But I, I do it as part of my kind of healthy author. This is this is how I stay healthy and fit as an author because I can't sit in my chair typing all day. I need to get out and do some form of exercise. And I do know from personal contacts and emails from you that a lot of you either run or have started running. So I mentioned this in the interest of sharing and encouraging you to become and stay healthy authors. I will put the link to this virtual running. It's 15 pounds and uh, it's by the people who do the great run in the UK. So it, it's not sort of somebody who's making a bit of money from virtual runs while we're all on lockdown. It's a, it's a proper kind of you know authentic uh, outlet for running. It's the Great North Run. It's one of the biggest runs apart from the London Marathon, you know, in the UK. Uh, it's fifteen pound, uh, and you get a little sort of app to record your times, and you get a little online certificate and you get a little medal in the post so if you do want to kind of keep your your running going if you're trying to gamify it and motivate yourself i'll put the link on the show notes and you can have a look at that if that's something that might interest you friday the 19th of march is father's day in spain they have a different father's day to the uk so i've been trying to convince my kids this week that they should be showering me with gifts on the spanish father's day and the uk father's day but so far i've had no response from the kids so i don't think they're going to go for it unfortunately but i will do you know we want to celebrate as many of the traditions as we can so we will be doing something on friday the 19th that has a sort of father's day bent even if that means going out for a meal somewhere uh you know getting some something ordered some home delivery or watching a film on or p- p- buying a film on amazon prime or something like that but yeah i get i get two father's days this year so long as i'm back in the uk ready for uk father's day and finally next week's show is the last of this current season, season three, though I do have a bonus episode for you on Sunday the 4th of April, which was very surprised. I had to check all my dates and things. That's the fifth anniversary of this show. I started, the first official episode was the 4th of April, 2016. So we're five years into this show now, which feels remarkable. So the special episode, you've got the last episode of the season, next Friday, a week from now, that's episode 12 of this season. And then the, the week after, the fourth of Sunday the 4th of April, so it'll be a different day next week, Sunday the 4th of April, I'll be dropping in a special episode, which is called 10 Things I've Learned About Self-Publishing in My Five Years of Podcasting. That's coming up, put that in your diary, you'll see it in your podcast feed as a final, final episode for this season. That'll be coming up on Sunday the 4th of April. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye-bye for now.